Welcome to episode 47 of Shailen on Batman. Uh, tonight we are without Tom. Tom is a rock star, as you know. He plays for the band Whiskey Tango. And he could not be with us tonight. But instead, we have a special guest on who we're just going to get right into it with. Uh, Sean Gerber, who is a moderator for the BOF podcast. And I'm sure if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard us talk about Sean and Mark and Bill a bunch of times, and uh, he also <laughs> is the editor-in-chief of Modern Myth Media, so please give a warm welcome to Sean Gerber. Thank you for being on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's fun. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. So usually the first kind of questions we ask is, where are you from, and where was your first uh, interaction with the character of Batman? Well, I'm, I was born in Long Beach, California, and then grew up in the neighboring city of Lakewood, which is L.A. County uh, in Southern California. And first experience with Batman, I, I can't remember what exactly the first one was. It's I, I just know that I've been a Batman fan, and that character and that world's been with me for as long as I've been old enough to register memories that last into adulthood. So... I think the the earliest things that I have are just watching reruns of the 60s Adam West Batman series because that was in syndication when I was little. Um, I would either watch episodes. I think they used to air on Fox and I think maybe some other stations every once in a while. They kind of kind of got bounced around. But then also um, my grandmother, she we used to get dropped off at her house a lot of times to be babysat and. She would record episodes for me, too, on VHS, so she would pop those in because she knew like that was pretty much all she had to do to watch me the rest of the day was pop on the Batman video, and that was it. So really, you should be thanking your grandma for introducing you to Batman. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I don't know that she's the one who introduced me, but she uh, certainly you know, helped. Uh, she was definitely an enabler for my fandom. I'd say you know, her and my dad were both pretty instrumental in in feeding uh, or fueling my Batman flame for sure. No doubt about it. Awesome. So clearly Batman has been part of your life. And now when we get to the eighties is when we really get to see uh, a real change in the character. Like obviously Neil Adams and the Denny O'Neill run really had uh, an impact on the character. But once we get into the late eighties with Frank Miller stuff, mm -hmm. and Batman 89, um, the, the change with, went from the campy TV show to this dark brooding care, uh, creature of the night. W do you recall the first time you saw uh, Tim Burton's take on, uh, on Batman? And what yeah. was that like for you when you first saw it? Like, what'd you come away with that? Yeah. Oh, I definitely remember it because it came out Well, I was, I was five when it came out. So I was, but I'm, my birthday's in July and it came out in June of 89. So I was almost six and I remember because, uh, you know, it was a, a big incident in my family that I didn't get to go see Batman 89 when it first came out because the first weekend that it was out, uh, my mom and dad, because it was dark, because it was not the 
Adam West can't be Batman series. My mom and dad were thinking maybe this is not appropriate for, you know, a five going on six year old. So they refused to take me. And I remember being so bummed because that same grandmother's house that I used to watch, you know, the 60s TV shows on VHS or just on rerun on reruns. They were driving me over to that house and I was just so defeated. They, they drove me over, dropped me <laughs> off and my, and my brother as well. And mom and dad went to watch Batman. And then they I, I guess they probably figured that it was just going to be too much of an issue in the house if I didn't get to watch the movie. So they after seeing it, I guess they either felt like they, you know, it was appropriate enough or they just wouldn't wouldn't be able to stop me from seeing it anyway because grandma would eventually take me. So they took me the following weekend. They took uh, my brother and I, who's uh, my brother's a couple years older than I am. They took us to go see it. So, yeah, I remember loving it. I mean, I remember, well, I think the the first thing is I, I just remember the tracing of the bat signal in the very beginning of it. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is so cool. And that very first I'm Batman scene of Batman taking out the muggers was just unlike anything I'd ever seen because Batman was always talking. You know, when he in the Adam West series, Batman's always chipper and chiming in and, and of course robin's there so he's got someone to bounce off of play off of uh but batman didn't have anybody to talk to and he was just being fairly silent and just kicking ass and doing his thing so i remember being pretty mesmerized by it when i was uh, the first time i saw it and of course i think it was the first movie that i can remember going to see more than once in the theater because i, I had my mom ended up taking me to see it one more time uh because i i had loved it so much and i just couldn't get enough of it Take it, Kyle. Out of curiosity, do you have a favorite portrayal of Batman? Like, is it from one of the movies, or is it maybe a comic series? Like, when you think of Batman, is there a specific version that pops out at you? Um, If I had to pick one favorite portrayal of Batman, I would probably go with the Dark Knight trilogy. And I honestly never thought I would pick that. I I didn't think that there was much that was ever going to really top Batman the animated series for me, but... Because uh, I, I love that, and I, I have all kinds of stories about Batman the Animated Series. But the Nolan trilogy, I thought, was just such a great take on Batman. That, because And I think what made it so great and why I ended up liking it even more than I liked uh, the Burton film is I just loved how much attention it paid to Bruce Wayne. Because really, if you're a fan of Batman for any length of time, you quickly realize that you're really a fan of, of Bruce Wayne, too. Because that... I'm, well, I appreciate the idea of Batman and the legacy of Batman, the symbolism and being a legend and everything like that. All that's great, but I don't care about any of those other guys' stories. I care about the story of Bruce Wayne. And to have something like the Nolan films where it actually takes you from beginning to end of his you know, his journey as Batman, I thought was a really cool way of doing it. And then, of course, it gave just absolute lights-out portrayals of other parts of the Batman world, whether it's Ra's al Ghul, Scarecrow, Joker, Two-Face, Bane and Catwoman, I thought were done very well in the series. So I think Dark Knight Trilogy is probably my one kind of shining example to to steal. I guess I I just stole a line from Bane, but (laughs) (laughs) my one shining example of of, of Batman that I kind of hold up. So speaking of Bruce Wayne, what do you think of uh, the portrayal of young Bruce from the TV show Gotham? I don't really like Gotham very much at all. Uh, I gave up on Gotham, I think, 16 episodes in. I gave up on Jerome. The first episode was Jerome <laughs> last year. I said, that's it. I have given this show about 16 hours to produce 
at least one hour of television that I could call good. And the best I could say for any episode of Gotham that I had seen up to that point is, well, it wasn't that bad. And like, that's all I could muster for Gotham. So I let it go. Um, I don't have a problem with Bruce. Uh, You know, Bruce was maybe one of the few parts of Gotham that kind of sort of worked sometimes. I like the portrayal of Alfred uh, Mm -hmm. from what I saw of the, I mean, I I don't know. I, I heard people were mad about what he did in last night's episode, but I, I don't watch it, so I don't know. But And he gets um, fired all the time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess that's par for the course. Like, you can't get mad at Bruce firing Alfred. It happens, uh, even in comic books and other mediums. I mean, it happens. But, uh, yeah, I'm just, overall, I'm, I'm not pleased at all with Gotham. I always argued that HBO or Showtime need to adapt the Greg Rucka. Yes, Absolutely. And just make that just you can just frame by frame that I know there's some talk about like a watchman going to HBO. But if they really want to tap something that could just deliver that series with Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker is flawless, just perfect for that medium. It totally is. I, I always wanted a Gotham Central television show. And when they first said that we're going to make a TV show and it's going to be Gotham and it's going to be Gordon, I thought. Well, it's not being framed as Gotham Central, but maybe it'll be something like Gotham Central. And oh, no, 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 it's no, not. no. Um, it's not. It's like almost a cross between. It's like every version of like Batman throughout his years, like in the in the live action media, from the TV show to I don't want, dare say it, like all the way to the Dark Knight Rises, because they just throw so much at you. But I really think that it's more in tune with Batman forever, the way that they portray the villains as, and the way everything is weirdly sexual. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> I, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of is a cross between Batman forever and actually Batman returns. Cause Batman returns is full of sex puns. Just listen to the penguin for five minutes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Gotham is just weird. I, I feel like tonally it, it doesn't have it. There's not really a consistency there. There's no idea of what exactly the show wants to be because it will be uh, extremely dark and violent one moment and then just ridiculously campy and silly another yeah. moment. And then all of a sudden there's a weird lesbian love affair because this is Fox and we want it to be sexy and it doesn't really say anything. It's not trying to be progressive. It's trying to be titillating mm-hmm. and it doesn't work because it, – and. I I don't want to be mean, but the performances in Gotham are just not great. I've been pretty disappointed in in Ben McKenzie. I was a huge advocate of his when he first got the role, but watching him in there, I I feel like sometimes he's really struggling with how exactly he wants to portray this character because I kind of feel like he's a little bit all over the place sometimes with his portrayal. So it's just, there's just not enough there for me to hold on to it. And then the guy that they got to play Jerome, that was kind of the final straw for me. I was just, you know, that, that felt like a guy who was trying really, really, really hard to be a good Joker, which, you know, God bless him for trying. But I also feel like, you know, it shouldn't look like you're trying so hard. Right. You know, if you when you watch Heath Ledger, obviously he gave an amazing performance and he poured himself into it. And we all know the stories, locking himself in the hotel room for six weeks, the Joker diary, all that stuff. So clearly... He was trying very hard to give a great performance, but you don't see that effort in the performance. Like you don't, you're not aware of that trying. He just is the character, and that's where I think uh, that actor. I guess where was he from? Homeland or somewhere else that they picked no, him up? It was some TNT show. 
Oh, okay. Well, wherever he was from, yeah. Southland? They, is that what it was? That, ben McKenzie was Ben McKenzie was Southland. Um, I don't know about the the guy who played Jerome, but yeah, that one just didn't come across well. The only ones that really consistently come across well for me, uh, Donald Logue is actually pretty enjoyable as Bullock. I thought was he. I consistently enjoyed him, and of course, Robin Lord Taylor as Penguin. And if it was a whole show about Penguin, I might still be watching, but it's not. So I, I just there's not enough there for me to hold on to it and keep watching. But I, I love the development of the Watchmen series on HBO because I hope DC opens that door much further and walks through it with more stuff. If you look at what Marvel's done and I for all the flack that it gets, I like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but there's a huge difference in quality between what you get on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. versus what you get on Daredevil on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like especially now that HBO is an over-the-top service by itself with HBO Now that doesn't rely on cable, that seems like the perfect marriage to me for DC television to start doing, like Marvel's doing with Netflix, for DC to do that stuff with directly with HBO. I think it would be a blast. I want to jump to, you said you had stories about the animated series, but I know sure. if, if, I don't, if we don't talk about this, we will never get to it a lot of people, you brought something up that's really interesting about the, the, the door opening on DC. And a lot of people, the fanboys, if you will, um, are upset that the universes in Marvel are all integrated. Mm -hmm. Like something that you see in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really kind of pays off in Avengers Age Ultron. But in DC, it's completely different. It's the two universes kind of run parallel against right. each other which do you prefer as a fan do you like that the the difference that you can get from like a dc where okay i can have a really good flash on tv and then a really good flash on the big screen mm -hmm. well i think the problem that i have with it is you know the idea of a separate universe works except i i where i struggle with it is dc doesn't play by the rules of a separate universe dc still has rules where you can't use this character or that character because we have plans for them in movies and yet other characters you can use it so i think each, each approach can be valid and each approach can work and be a lot of fun i like the the uh, whole it's all connected thing of the marvel stuff although Really, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not that connected to the movies. It's more Easter egg type stuff. It's really not a big deal with the way that they do things. And even Daredevil, I mean, they mentioned kind of offhand in the first episode. They they talk about the uh, the Battle of New York and there's like, you know, an Iron Man or Thor reference here or there. But in terms of the plot, like it doesn't play into the bigger MCU type of stuff. So I don't necessarily think... Uh, you know, it has to be a, a driving thing where the movies dominate television. The TV shows can tell their own stories if they're all in the same universe. But I don't care what you do either way. But whatever decision you make, you know, utilize that that strategy to its fullest extent. And I think that's where the DC stuff kind of fails a little bit is there's certain things that they are okay to use for TV and certain things are not. But if, if it's all separate, then it should all be fair game. That's kind of the way I look at it. And I also don't understand the strategy of different TV universes because Gotham is sitting there by itself yeah. in its own universe, and it doesn't play into The Flash or Arrow or Supergirl. And that that's weird. I mean, if you're going to have... If you want to have a TV universe and a movie universe, I think that's fine, but let's do one of each of those and stick with it. Right. It's, it's, it's very bizarre that Gotham is on its own island. The only thing that I can say positively about Gotham is it's introducing a new generation 
that really probably wouldn't get into the character of uh, Bruce Wayne and some of the characters of Batman that, um, you know, like like the 66 TV show introduced a whole generation to the character of Batman. Like Gotham sure. has potential to do this, but if it's not on par with what television can be, like on AMC, on FX, HBO, like the list goes on, then is it really doing more damage? Well, it's not even age appropriate for what that new generation would be. I mean, anybody who's old enough to watch Gotham is old enough to have seen the Dark Knight trilogy mm-hmm. or watched, you know, I have a um, a five-year-old nephew who's, or he's almost, he's going to be five in a couple months. He first, he first started getting into Batman when he was like two. And for him, it was reruns again of the 60s television show on the hub. So it doesn't really seem to matter, uh, you know, right. it doesn't really seem to matter how old somebody is or what new generation is. It seems like that Adam West series continues to be the starting point for a lot of people. I don't, I don't know that Gotham is going to have uh, that kind of impact, and I don't know that it was ever meant to, given the clearly the demographic that they're aiming for with the content of the show. So, what really got us involved into the character of Batman was the animated uh, television sh- uh, series from the early '90s that kind of w- went throughout. Uh, the rest of the late 90s. You said you had some stories about Batman the Animated Series. Let's talk about that because yeah. I'm like, for us, that's what really got a, like the 89 movie introduced us to the character of Batman, but this animated series got us to love the character of Bruce and Alfred and all the rest of the Rose Gallery. So let's, let's jump right into that. Yeah, I think Batman was definitely the or Batman the animated series was definitely the part of Batman media for me that I think had probably the longest lasting impact because you didn't really I mean I didn't know a whole I mean it, when you watch the 60s TV show you don't learn that much about the world of Batman. You I mean you learn enough of it, you learn the basics and then of course you know you get uh, and I was reading comic books too so I would get introduced to characters and stuff but I was mainly kind of cherry picking comic books and just going after Batman issues that had a villain I knew from the 60s TV show on the cover, like a Joker issue, a, a Riddler story or Penguin or whoever. But Batman, the animated series was something that really introduced me to the entire world of Batman, where you get so many more characters. You know, you get everything from Ra's al Ghul or Roz. It's Ra's in the animated series, so I'll go with that. Ra's al Ghul, Clayface. I mean, some of these characters I already knew about and some of them I didn't, but I really loved Batman the Animated Series. And I remember looking forward to Batman the Animated Series. I can remember the buildup to Batman the Animated Series coming on because I, as I said, I, I really enjoyed the Knight Burton's 89 Batman film, but I wasn't totally satisfied by it because I, I still wasn't, it didn't quite feel like, you know, the Batman that I was connecting to all the way. There were definitely elements I loved, but there are other things that kind of left me, you know, a little bit, uh, that were a little bit short for me. Like, I never really loved the Jack Nicholson Joker. I think it's great. Nobody, like, you know, <laughs> send, you know, flaming bags of poo to my house or anything. <laughs> but, like, I listen to the show. So, um, no, like, I don't want anybody to, you know, come after me on that. But, I mean, I, I liked... You know, I think he's great, but it just wasn't quite the fit for me. So I was uh, wanting another interpretation of the Joker besides him and Cesar Romero. And I just remember, you know, looking, I would cut out articles and I would cut out artwork of Batman, the animated series in magazines. And I would, ha- I had, I had a wall in my room 
that was just taped up things of Batman the Animated Series before it had even premiered. And when the show came on, a lot of people think Batman the Animated Series debuted in primetime. They're wrong. They're not a true Batman the Animated Series fan. The day before they did On Leather Wings on that Sunday night in primetime, they actually did The Cat and the Claw Part 1 on the Saturday morning. So that was the first one that actually aired. Um, and I, I remember just waiting for it. And I, th- I loved it. I mean, you start off with a, you know, a rooftop chase of Batman and Catwoman, and I had never seen anything like that in motion uh, for Batman ever. You know, nothing in the movies was quite like that. And uh, nothing from the 60s show, obviously, was like that. And certainly none of the Batman cartoons I had seen up to that point, the DC Super Friends stuff, all that, nothing was like Batman the Animated Series. That was where I just felt completely immersed in the world of Batman and Gotham City uh, in a way that I had never been before. And I just absolutely loved it. I can remember one, one of my favorite pieces of Batman the Animated Series artwork, and it was a scene that never made it onto a show. It was clearly drawn just for promo artwork. I didn't know. I was waiting for that episode to air. Uh, I was nine when Batman the Animated Series came out in 92, but it was Batman uh, being tied up and uh, hanging over a a dunk tank like you would see at like a fair or a carnival or whatever. And of course, it was big green, you know, bubbling acid in the dunk tank instead of water. And right there in the foreground at the very front of the picture, it's the Joker, you know, holding onto a softball ready to chuck it to uh, knock Batman into the tank. And that was the other thing that was so huge for me was as much as I loved the show when it first came on, I was like, okay, but when's the Joker on this thing? And then, you know, it did, I think it was maybe a week or two into the show because it started airing every day, you know, after school. And then it was the first one that aired was Joker's favor. And from that line where he just, you know, his first ever line is, there's your two cents. Now, what are you going to do to me as he shakes down Charlie Collins? And I just thought that voice is perfect. And that, of course, was Mark Hamill. My dad watched the credits. He goes, that's Luke Skywalker. I'm like, no, it's not. There's there's no way. Uh, And there was no IMDb back then, so I couldn't look it up right away. But sure enough, yeah, that was Luke freaking Skywalker was the voice of the Joker, and he was perfect. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask one more. Well, it's going to be two, and then I'll let Kyle take over again. So how do do you get started uh, at BOF, Mm -hmm. creating the podcast? And how does that translate over – to your own website at Modern Myth Media. Sure. Um, so how I got started with Batman on film was actually 17 years ago. Uh, he started the site in June of 98. I first stumbled upon it in September of 98. And I know that because September of 98 was when uh, my family, we got our first computer with like internet and everything. Um, and uh, one of the first searches I did probably the probably the first one I did was Batman five movie news. And one of the first things that came up was Jet's page, which I think at the time that was still jet D sixties, like Batman five page. Like I don't (laughs) even think it was called Batman on film yet, but that was right when I found it. So he had, I guess, you know, he had had the site a few months around that time and I just followed it and I just read the site because um, it, it's weird to think about how much I loved going to the site every day to read rumors because now I can't stand rumors. I hate them. But the reason why I, the reason why I hate rumors now is because I don't need them anymore. You know, we have a, a huge, not just Batman. I mean, we have a huge comic book movie genre that has a handful of films every year. So you never go more than a few weeks without some official news. But 
back then, you know, the comic book movies weren't all over the place and you didn't have news all the time. So all you had to go on were rumors and you just did that to keep yourself entertained. And that's exactly what I did. And I followed the rumor mill on Batman on film from Joel Schumacher's Batman five with uh, Scarecrow as the villain and Jack Nicholson's Joker coming back in a fear uh, toxin thing. And then, uh, followed it through Batman versus Superman, the original Batman With versus Wolf Superman. Yeah, had that, and then of course Darren Aronofsky's Batman Year One. Followed it all the way through that stuff until finally, you know, a director was actually hired and Christopher Nolan to go and, and make it. So I just, and then of course I followed the whole build up to Batman Begins through Batman on film, and then I knew they had a message board, and I had just kind of been. Uh, lurking on the message board and watching it uh, and just reading the conversations people were having. I wasn't really participating. And then when Batman Begins came out and I, of course, saw it on opening night, like I'm sure most of us did. And when I saw it, I was like, I got to talk to people about this. And as much as I could talk to my friends about comic book movie stuff, like there's a limit with them and there's no limit with me. So I needed a place where that conversation would be unlimited. So I went and I signed up on uh, the Batman on film message board. And that's it. I would just kind of post and join in conversations. And then, uh, then I, I think my posting became more frequent, like a lot of people's during the build up to the dark Knight, Cause you had the viral campaigns. So we were always talking about what's going to be revealed next. And then, uh, around f- February, I think of 2008, uh, a few months before dark Knight came out, Bill had reached out to me. Cause you know, I, at, over the time, I, mean, I think he had, read some of my stuff in the discussions and debates that we had on the message board. And he, he offered me a chance to do some writing for Batman on film. And I said, hell yes. And then, um, I couldn't believe I was being asked to write for Batman on film. Like I've been reading this website for almost 10 years at this point. I can't believe I'm being, you know, I can't believe jet is asking me to write, you know, I can't believe he's emailed me and is asking me to write for his website. But were you uh, doing episode reviews for the animated series? Uh, I did some of those, but that came later. Uh, initially, what I did was some comic book reviews, and I did some opinion pieces. Um, and then the way that turned into a podcast is um, on the Batman on Film message board, there was also a chat room. And in the chat room, I befriended uh, Brad, who if you know, if you, you know, follow the BOF podcast for any length of time then or for a longer stretch of time, then you'll, you'll know Brad. And uh, Brad and I, I had... I remember we were chatting in there one day and I, I looked at the Batman on film website and I noticed there was actually a little icon for a podcast, but it didn't go anywhere. You couldn't actually click it or maybe it was a link and just said it was coming soon or something like that. And I just, uh, I asked Brad, I said, Hey, do you know anything about this podcast? Cause I, that would be a really fun thing to do. You know, do you know why Bill put that up there? Cause it's, it's just there and there's nothing happening. <laughs> so he said, well, actually I had suggest, you know, Brad said, actually I had, you know, that idea to bill about doing a podcast but you know it just didn't get moving and i said well let's you know let's do it and then uh so brad and i just you know we we pretty much told you know nagged bill for a while like we got to do this we got to do this come on and and then uh we finally did it it's september of 98 um we actually recorded a, a couple episodes before we we had set up a recording and then all of a sudden bill couldn't make it so we just recorded a couple episodes and then we held on to them until we could record one with Bill because there was no way that we were going to have the first episode, you know, not have Bill on it. So and then we had Bill and then we put put up the episodes that we had already recorded. And then we just every once in a while posted a new episode. And that was it for BOF podcast. And then the way that evolved into modern myth media is 
you know, Batman on film wasn't really a very regular thing with that podcast because it was very specific to Batman movie news. And there's not always a ton of Batman movie news to talk about. So we ended up uh, I or and, and plus, you know, as much as I'm a Batman fan, even and that character's always been my favorite. I love all kinds of other superheroes. I love a bunch of other DC heroes, a bunch of other Marvel heroes. And and of course, the comic book movie genre was getting bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden there was this thing called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And DC was looking to launch a universe. It didn't work, you know, Green Lantern. So they're looking to do that. And uh, with that movie, <laughs> yeah, they tried. They tried. And, uh, it's a cloud. Yeah, they tried. And um, they, uh, so I, I just knew there was going to be all this stuff and it was going to grow and become so much bigger. And I wanted to talk about all of it. I wanted to write about all of it. So I started uh, my own shop. And then, and that was in March of 2011. And of course, a podcast, you know, when I knew I was going to start a website, I was like, well, the, the podcast is going to be there right from the beginning. And so I started the podcast and it was mostly made up of myself and, uh, you know, a few people from the Batman on film podcast. And then we ended up, uh, you know, adding a few more people over the years as the podcast went on. So yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, it just kind of started with me finding the website, Bill eventually reaching out. We turned that into a podcast and then that turned into another podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Go for it, Kyle. All right. Let's get to the good stuff now. <laughs> sure. So we're only a couple of months away from the release of Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Can you talk mm -hmm. about how excited you are for that? Like, <laughs> just the idea of having Batman and Superman together on screen for the first time, it's got to be exciting for us fans, you know? Yeah, it's d definitely. I mean, on principle, the movie is already an exciting prospect. I mean, yes, the idea of Batman and Superman in a movie together is huge. Um, I. You know, it's no secret for anybody who listens to my stuff or reads what I write. I'm, I'm not totally in love with the way they've put all this together. Um, there's definitely things I would have preferred had been done differently. But at the same time, you know, the, the last trailer that they did around Comic-Con, you know, I was in Hall H when they premiered that footage. And, you know, a lot of there's a couple things I've, you know, nitpicked about it that I don't love very much. But mostly I really loved what they had in that trailer. So that definitely started changing my mind a little bit. I, I think the part of the problem with my excitement with Batman v Superman is I'm, I'm very excited to see it, but at the same time, I, I'm very worried about it just because of the way it's been built up mm -hmm. to, you know, where it, it's not that I'm worried that the movie's going to be bad. I'm not worried about that. It's more like there's, you know, Batman's very personal to me as he's very personal to everybody who's a big Batman fan. And, and I think, and of course the DC universe is something that I take personally. So when you see that, like, you know, somebody's putting like all their chips, like on red, or like, <laughs> like, like it's all on the table all on, like, you know, for, for one spin. Yeah. For one spin of the roulette wheel. And you're just kind of like, Oh, crap. like you can't help but be nervous about that. Like, you know that if it pays off, it's going to be great. But you, you also know if it comes up, you know, short, that it's going to be like, oh, big failure. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's where that's where it is. But I, I mean, I, I can, you know, sometimes I just kind of worry about that stuff anyway. Just like you know, when Marvel was building up to the Avengers, I didn't automatically think that it was going to pan out. I thought, you know, I thought it could pan out, but I also thought, well, it also might not. So what are we going to do then? Uh, but you know, it worked out for them, so hopefully, it works out the same way. Uh, for DC, but it's it's hard to look at all the chips that are on the table and, and not get at least a little bit nervous about it. Right. Are you concerned that maybe they're trying to fit 
too much in this one movie, like maybe too many characters on the fight for screen time. Because I, I know you can kind of compare it to the Avengers where there's a ton of characters, but the thing with the Avengers yeah. is they already had, they each had their own movies True. to introduce the characters. Now and That's they have to introduce the, yeah. new characters in this. Yeah, my biggest concern is actually that they didn't, um, you know, that, that Superman didn't get to be a little more fully formed uh, before they brought in Batman and other characters. I felt like Superman deserved another movie uh, right. before. I mean, I, I didn't, I don't, I never thought they needed to do the whole Marvel thing of let's take like four or five characters and let's give all of them solo films and then let's team them up. I didn't think they had to do that. Um, you know, Batman, for example, I, I would have preferred a Batman solo film before uh, putting him in team ups again to kind of redefine his own, his new universe, since this is a brand new continuity, a brand new take on Batman that has nothing to do with the previous film series. So I, I thought that would be a good idea. Because, and, and that's the other thing is I hear like Zack Snyder interview saying, well, you know, the first half of the movie might be a little more Batman heavy because we have to set up the new Batman. And I'm thinking, well, that's why you should have made another Batman movie first. Like you, wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't have to do that. Um, but the truth is you don't really have to. Most people are at least generally aware of what the world of Batman is and they kind of get it. So I don't really think that has a major impact. But I, I feel like, you know, part of the reason why Batman v Superman kind of has this... Um, you know, and there are some fans who are you know, died in the wool fans of it and already think it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. And, you know, they they're already getting ready to throw out their Dark Knight trilogy uh, Blu-rays in order to welcome, you know, <laughs> oh, Batman v Superman. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's crazy. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are ready to think that it's going to be that great. And that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's fantastic. But there were a lot of people who didn't necessarily love Man of Steel, you know, and uh, I'm actually on the. I'm somebody who considers himself a fan of Man of Steel, but you know a lot of people weren't, and I felt like if that's your first movie in a DC kind of extended universe as being called now, I I kind of feel like you would have wished for a, a more universally positive reaction to build off of, and I kind of felt like Man of Steel was even people who didn't like Man of Steel seemed to agree that with a few simple changes uh, that. You know, people would be really, you know, people felt like Man of Steel could turn into a great Superman movie in the follow up. And I kind of feel I totally agree with that. And I feel like if they had taken that step to give Superman his own film one more time uh, before this team up, I, I think that might have worked out and not, ha you know, not had so many people now who are nervous about what's going to happen with Superman because, you know, Batman's taken so much of the focus because he's Batman. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's a that's a good question are you concerned because there has been there have been a lot of rumors and you said you know Zack Snyder said the first act or part of the film is yeah. going to be Batman heavy are you concerned that Superman's not going to get as much screen time as Batman like is that a legit concern for you because that's a little concerning for me as a Batman fan and as a Superman fan as well Right. Well, as a Batman fan, I don't care. I just want to watch Batman. <laughs> but, you know, as a fan of of Superman and as a fan of you know DC as a as a whole, um, it's not so much screen time that I'm worried about. To me, it's it's not so much about how much time you get. It's about how much you make it count in the time that you have with a character. Um, for example, like you know, I think Wonder Woman probably has of the the Trinity, I think she probably has the smallest role in the film, but I think she might end up making the biggest impact and that would be okay. Um, Hulk did not have the biggest role in the Avengers, but 
what's the one scene everybody remembers from the Avengers, even if you saw it one time, is Hulk smashing Loki. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but I think what I'm more concerned about with Superman is not so much, you know, how much time he gets, but how he's treated in that time. Because I'm, I'm not, I don't love this idea of, and, and I mean, I get it. I, I get the whole, you know, everybody's worried. You know, some people love Superman. Some people are worried about Superman. We're going to have Senate hearings and we're going to have people who are skeptical of Superman. But so a lot of that's been at the expense so far in the trailers of Superman getting to look and act like Superman. Um, you know, like I, I don't really know. And, I, you know, I, I don't know what Kent family Zack Snyder ever read to make him think that, like, you know, Ma Kent would be like, ah, oh, you don't got to save anybody. <laughs> i don't know i don't know where ma and pa kent just like collectively told clark fuck him like i don't know where that came from um but whatever um you do what you want to do <laughs> yeah you do what you want to do and fuck everyone else clark um I, I don't get it but the the part that i i have a theory and if it pans out then i'm going to be totally happy with batman v superman at least in in that aspect of it if it doesn't pan out then i may you know walk out of it a little less than happy i i feel like a lot of this is a setup i feel like a lot of this is taking batman the character who everybody already knows and loves making him superman's biggest critic superman's biggest skeptic in this big huge blockbuster movie and then Superman over the course of the film, or it might be one big incident later in the film, will kind of gain the acceptance of Batman. He will prove himself to Batman. And of course, if Batman says Superman's okay and he signs off on Superman, then everybody signs off on Superman, including, you know, everybody who's a you know already a big Batman fan and maybe questions Superman after watching Man of Steel, says, okay, well, if Batman says he's okay then I'm good with that. I don't know that Superman needs that stamp of approval, but that's the route that they're going with. And it's actually not that different from what Marvel did with Captain America because Captain America had kind of that same, a lot of the same issues that people talk about whether or not you can make Superman compelling in a movie is reasons why people thought Captain America would be an iffy character for Marvel to adapt because he has out what we call, you know, outdated sensibilities. He, he, you know, he's way too idealistic, too much of a goody goody boy scout, whatever you want to call him. And which actually says more about us than it does about the character that we don't buy that anymore. But, um, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really more, you know, we're talking shit on ourselves when we do that. But, um, if you remember from Avengers, I mean, who was Captain America's biggest skeptic and critic in that movie? Iron Man was. Now they didn't make they didn't build the whole plot around it, so that's might I don't know how well that works for Batman v Superman, but they took their most popular Avenger, they had him kind of you know give his you know Captain America earns his respect to where Iron Man says no you're the leader of the team at the end of this film as we go do this big fight, and all of a sudden Captain America was much more popular after that you know his his next movie made his solo movie made almost twice as much as the first one did. So if that's if they're trying to do a similar trick with uh, Batman and Superman like Marvel did with Iron Man and Cap, then I think it could actually work out very well. I just think that no matter what, you know, Superman needs to be the more fully formed Superman coming out of this film. However they want to go about it, you know, through the structure of this movie, I'm willing to go along with, but I think the end result has to be Superman is Superman and everybody agrees that he's awesome and that's like and that's final. And I, if 
if we get through this whole movie and Batman's still kind of eh about Superman and we're going into that in, you know, we're taking that further into justice league, then I'm just going to, you know, I think pe- I know I will get tired of that. And I think audiences would get tired of that pretty quickly. So Plus, you don't want Batman to be a dick either. <laughs> like, you, know, you, gotta, you have to be careful about that. Right. I mean, just get a look at that. What are we looking at, Tom? Last I knew, we were looking at DC Extended Multiverse on Facebook. So why would we be interested in this page? They have the latest and greatest DC Extended Multiverse news. The other day I was watching this old Superman Returns trailer. It was amazing. They have fan casts. They have news updates, comic book talk. They post other trailers from other superhero movies from DC. It's amazing. Oh, go figure. Look at that. Yeah, man, all this just a click away at DC Extended Multiverse on Facebook. I don't know. I'm not so sure about it. Would you look at it? There's a community over 100,000 people who have liked this Facebook page. They're always commenting, liking stuff. They're always, always mentioning things that are happening in the DC Extended Multiverse. I, you gotta look at it this way, okay? You just gotta look at it. That's all you can do anymore. It seems like I've convinced Tom and Kyle. Have I convinced you, Paul? Yeah. You heard it, guys. It's that good. You need to go to Facebook and check out DC Extended Multiverse. DC Extended Multiverse. DC Extended Multiverse. Yeah. Ben is starring as the Cape Crusader, and he's gonna direct. Some mm-hmm. Batman film. We don't know how many, but what do you want? To, like you, you said it previously. Like the Dark Knight's your definitive version of Batman. Sure, but what sure. do you need to see out of Ben's Batman to kind of okay? I like this version. Do you want to see him more? Because as a detective, because we have not really seen that uh, translated to film that well. Like we got a little bit of the '89. We got a little bit of him being a detective in Forever, and a little bit in the Dark Knight. But we really haven't seen that way that he's been like in the comics and in the animates of him just being a detective getting down and dirty trying to figure solve crimes well i think the amount of detective work that actually is in the dark knight trilogy is underrated and undersold but um as far as what i want from affleck's batman movie i guess it's more I honestly don't care that much. And it's not because I don't care about, you know, the next Batman movie. It's just that because I was so satisfied with the Dark Knight trilogy, like when I walked out of Dark Knight Rises, I was just like, got what I wanted. (laughs) We're playing, you know, I'm playing with house money from here on out. Here we go. Uh, You know, in terms of Batman solo films, I have, you know, different feelings about DC Universe, but Batman by himself, um, well, what I, if there's one thing I really want, from you know a a series of batman movies i'm not going to get from the affleck movie anyway i actually want a live action batman that goes closer to batman the animated series that's a a better that's more of a balance between you know the realism of what nolan approached to it but then also you know this is still a comic book and this is still you know and there are still impossible characters that batman encounters and stuff like that like yeah, I mean, I don't even need Man Bat, but I mean, Mr. Freeze and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I love Clayface. I want Clayface, but yeah, <laughs> I know nobody else wants Clayface, but I think Clayface is awesome. I think Clayface um, is awesome. Yeah, and I also very much want, like, my, but my biggest thing that I want now is, like, a legitimate Batman and Robin in live action. That's what I want. So I'm not going to get that from the Affleck Batman because it's not going to be a prequel. 
you know, and I, I think we know things didn't work out for Robin uh, based on the Batman v Superman trailer. So, um, <laughs> so as far as what I want, um, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get much of a detective story because uh, if I had to guess, I mean, it's going to be Batman versus the Joker. I mean, I don't think I, I could say that I would, you know, love to have, I, I would love the Court of Owls. I think that would be fantastic for Affleck's Batman because it would allow the detective aspect of it because he'd have to dive into Gotham history and figure out all this stuff. And it would totally be a perfect villain for, you know, a veteran Batman, which Affleck's Batman totally is. I mean, we're they're treating him like he's basically Bruce Wayne in The Dark Knight Rises, like he's been doing it forever. And he's a, he's closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning, much closer. So I think the Court of Owls would be perfect for that. I mean, as as Batman is trying to kind of cement his legacy to have a, another entity that completely challenges that. I think would be so exciting, but I don't expect it to happen. I, I think what's going to happen is you know, you're going to get the confrontation of, you know, I think it's going to be more designed to be the final confrontation between Batman and the Joker, which is totally cool because that's something I've not seen before. So far, when we see Batman and the Joker in a movie, it's their first meeting. That's, you know, it's Batman versus the Joker round one. We've had that twice. So, mm -hmm. which it totally worked very, you know, it worked great both times. But that's definitely something I want to see now is I want to see Batman versus the Joker when they know each other, you know, when it's much more personal between the two of them when they have a history. So if that's, you know, so I, while my, I still have, you know, bigger designs on stuff I want in, you know, Batman movies future, but in the more immediate future right now, I, I, I'm okay with Ben Affleck's Batman against Jared Little's Joker for a movie. I'll watch that. Awesome. Um, so let's get to some DCEU questions, and then we'll let you get on with your evening. Uh, George Miller just said that he was not going to direct Man of Steel after a lot of rumors. Even John Schnapp went on his own uh, show and said, George Miller's going to direct. It's like sure. a done deal. Sounds like it's not so much a done deal anymore. It sounds like he's not doing it. Who do you th think should direct the Man of Steel 2, it sounds like Snyder is just a little too busy with yeah. just part one and two. Yeah, there's. I, I can't imagine it being Snyder. I, I think he'll probably be done after he does uh, Justice League 1 and 2. I mean, that would be four straight superhero movies for him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think he would probably want and deserve a break. I mean, if he doesn't, cool, that's fine. <laughs> but I think, you know, he would probably not be the guy. If he came back for anything, it would probably be for like a Justice League 3, I think. So Snyder is a guy I would probably take off the table. I don't really know. I mean, when I heard the George Miller idea, I was like, oh, that's great. So now that, <laughs> right. you know, now, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't put, you know, all my stock in it when I first heard it because I'm like, oh, I, I don't even know that Man of Steel 2 is something that's close enough to the front burner at Warner Brothers that they would really have a deal in place with the director right now. But uh, I could understand why if George Miller was willing to commit to it, they might it, that could definitely accelerate the process. So I'm not really 100% sure on who I would want as a Superman director. I think it's not so much about who it is as, as it would be what their vision is. And I kind of hope that whoever that director would be, it would be somebody who really wants to take Superman and make him a Superman. That, that's more of what people would expect. And, and that doesn't mean take it all the way back to the Christopher Reeve Superman, but you know, there, there are very clear differences. If you look at, you know, 
Superman fighting Zod in Metropolis and Superman 2 versus the fight in Man of Steel, there's a clear difference in how Superman approaches things. And some things are more true to the character in Superman 2 and some things are more true in Man of Steel. But I kind of feel like there's a balance there. And I kind of want somebody who's I want an optimistic director. Let me put it that way. Like I want somebody who looks at Superman and doesn't say, you know, I have to explain why this is good. You know, it's not, I want a guy who already kind of knows why it's good and just, you know, is, is ready to show it doesn't necessarily need to prove to them why Superman's, you know, a great and, and worthwhile character. So I don't know who that is. Cause I mean, I could throw out directors, I could throw out, you know, Matt Reeves or like a Duncan Jones who are kind of up and coming guys. And I think those, you know, those guys could be great. I mean, Matt Reeves was up for the job before Snyder got it. Um, I think Duncan Jones might've been too. And those guys would still be great if they got another crack at Superman. But I, it's, I'm more interested in hearing, you know, the outlook that somebody has on the character before I say, yeah, give them the job. Uh, no, Brian Singer, just no. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, that goes without saying. He's not. Uh, he's definitely not allowed to do it. Um, but uh, everybody else, I'm, I'm kind of open. Peter Jackson, maybe. Peter Jackson would be awesome. Um, I, I think that's kind of one of the ones where I just write it off into fantasy land of like, no way that's happening. But yeah, if Peter Jackson says, I want to make a Superman movie, by all means, let him. Ship with the studio. He does. And he does. And he's never going to get those rights to uh, the Sol Marillion because they're never, the, the Tolkien's <laughs> are never letting that go. Yeah, so I, I really agree. Yeah, somebody's going to, I don't know, Peter Jackson's going to do something great next, and if he can be a part of the DC Extended Universe in any way, I don't care what movie it is, then I, I would be happy to uh, let him go with it, especially when you see how much he can commit to a franchise. Yeah, let him do Superman, and he'll do it for the next 20 years, and we'll be happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, Kyle, go for it. So, other directing news includes Seth Graham Smith directing The Flash as his first attempt at directing. What's your thoughts on that? I have no thought. He hasn't directed anything. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I don't know. Um, it's. I mean, one of the owners must have some faith in him to give him well, a big task clearly, like this. Clearly. Um, I, I think where I have, uh, I think they, I was surprised to see them name a director this soon because uh, it just seemed, you know, I, I know they wanted to get Lord and Miller and then they got offered a Star Wars job and well, Sorry, but Flash is not going to beat Star Wars. You know, Flash can't beat Han Solo. I'm sorry. Um, although that's a super challenging movie that Lord Miller took instead. Right. But um, I don't know. Like it, it's it's kind of weird because you know certainly I, I can't. I mean, I, he directed a few episodes of an MTV show I've never seen, so I I don't know. And and I doubt whatever that is. You know, R.J. Berger or whatever. I had never heard of it until he got the job yeah. for. Uh, the flash a show like that wouldn't even give you even if i watched it wouldn't give me enough of a sense of what exactly this guy could do with a flash movie anyway so i don't you know i didn't bother looking it up but um it's it's odd um you know i i have mixed feelings on it because i i there's been a lot of criticism from warner brothers then you know and it's really more of a criticism of hollywood in general that this white dude without a single directorial credit to his name gets this big opportunity meanwhile uh women directors non-white male directors don't get you know opportunities like this but i don't you know i don't want to comment too much on that or criticize warner brothers for that too much because i don't know you know i don't know who all they talked to and i don't know who all was interested in making this flash movie for them. And of course I'm not in the room to hear the pitch. 
You know, maybe Seth Graham Smith just leveled him with an amazing pitch. That's always possible. I, I really don't know. Um, but the one thing I will say in defense of Warner Brothers on this, well, I don't want to say defense. I'm not going to defend them. But to explain where some of the logic would be in terms of you know people saying this is a risky choice, well, this is probably the easiest place on the entire DC slate to take a risk because the entire you know the success of the DC extended universe does not hinge on the Flash. You know, there's not. And if this fails, well, there's already a good, you know, there's already a very well-received, very well-liked live-action adaptation of The Flash. So you just go, okay, we don't make Flash movies anymore. We bring him into, you know, we we bring him in for team-up movies, but we don't do solo movies on, you know, for solo stuff. We just stick with the TV show. So it's a very easy spot for them to say, we know this is a risk, but here's a spot where we can take one. And if it doesn't pan out, it'll be pretty low-profile and it won't, you know, as low profile as a major superhero movie can be, uh, right. and it won't, uh, you know, it won't uh, come back to bite them too badly. Although, I mean, of course, depending on what, depending on when its actual release date ends up being, whether it's March of 2018 or 2017 or some other time, you know, if there's nothing else to talk about that week, people will be talking about <laughs> it if Flash fails. Um, ha- we have like one more question before we do a little fan cast. Um, there's a rumor circulating that the Killing Joke animated film is going to be rated R. What are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you'd like to see? Are you? Do you think they're kind of uh, hedging their bets with an R-rated uh, animated film with Batman and the Joker? I don't think the Killing Joke needs to be rated R. Um, if they successfully adapted The Dark Knight Returns into PG-13, so you're not going to convince me that if they can get PG, if they can get the Dark Knight Returns to work as PG thirteen, they can't get the Killing Joke to work as PG thirteen. I don't, I don't buy it. So I don't buy the idea that it needs to be R. Now I know what was said. What was said is that Warner Brothers has given James Tucker the option. You know, he has the okay to make it R if that's what they decide to do. But that's not the decision that's actually been made yet. Um, I feel like the the things that you would emphasize in an R-rated version of the Killing Joke are the thing are the scenes that I would rather not see emphasized anyway, and right. I think that's where, you know, we all know what happened, you know, with between the Joker and Barbara Gordon. You know, by any definition, that's a sexual assault, regardless of you know what exactly the Joker did, you know, did or didn't do in that scene. We saw enough to know that that's a pretty uh, a pretty horrible and horrifying scene. And I don't think it's the one that I need to see very much of in The Killing Joke. And it's not even the part of Killing Joke that I like or the part of The Killing Joke that I think makes it a great story. What makes it a great story is what happens between Batman and the Joker in that story. Mm-hmm. And that's actually stuff that a movie needs to flesh out more because the book doesn't spend that much time on it. So I would rather uh, they do that as opposed to giving themselves license to go more graphic with certain scenes um, because I don't necessarily think that's what you know the Killing Joke's uh, greatest value is, but I also just have this other, you know, this this weird thing with Warner Brothers Animation is that you know with these direct to DVD movies is that you know if they have a, if they had a more proven record with these movies of properly and appropriately handling adult subject matter, I'd say okay, I trust them with this, but I don't because like these are the ones who have you know for no reason, and I'm not you know, prude or conservative by any stretch of the imagination, but 
when you just have like a sex team between Harley Quinn and Deadshot, just <laughs> like to be there, not because it does anything, but just to be there. I was just like, well, that's kind of weird. And like, I know it's PG 13, but like, you know, it is still a Batman cartoon. And I kind of feel <laughs> like, you know, there's a generation of kids who would probably like to watch that movie. And if it was just, you know, a matter of things being a little more violent or some character saying the word shit, like, okay, fine. You know, you can get away with that with a 17 year or a seven year old kid or eight year old kid. They're going to see that in a movie theater anyway. Um, but then like, you know, I, I kind of feel like sometimes with these things that they're doing in animation is they're very purposely taking them away from, you know, a generation of fans who would like it, which would be okay if they had a great, you know, if they had a, a huge presence on regular television with animation, cause that's what they had when I was growing up. And that's right. what helped make me a Batman fan for life was having Batman, the animated series. Um, you know, the, the, like I said, I have a nephew who's five and another nephew who's seven. And I'm like, there's, there's no current Batman content for them to watch. And I think, you know, you know, animation would be key for that. Not, not because like, I'm like, you know, Reverend Lovejoy's wife and saying, won't someone please think of the children. It's not about that. Like from a business standpoint, I just think, well, part of the way that you keep these things going is you get a new generation of fans excited about the character and animation is a great venue for, or a great vehicle for a younger generation. I feel like, you know, DC passes on that, which is totally like this whole other conversation besides the killing joke. But yeah, basically I don't see why it has to be R. So don't make it R. Right. Okay. So we talked, we do this thing on our uh, Twitter and Facebook. We call it FanCast Friday, um, where we take like our favorite Batman characters and give them um, an actor who we think would portray it well like i've said i think that brian cranston needs to be commissioner gordon many times um so uh recently on twitter we had a few fans richard church uh asked who we think should portray the penguin in a live action version of ben affleck's batman film so a little round table discussion who sean would you like to see as the penguin and then kyle and i'll go as well um, my number one choice for the Penguin right now, he's probably young for Affleck's version, but I don't care. Um, you have makeup and, and things for that. Um, and I also don't care that he's playing another comic book movie villain. I think Oscar Isaac is my top guy for the Penguin. Um, I think he's, you know, got about, he's about the right size. Well, I mean, he'd have to puff up a little bit, but hey, that means he gets to eat cheeseburgers. So <laughs> who cares? I won't feel bad for him. So if he loads up on some cheeseburgers, I think he's got a great look. And I mean, as an actor, the guy's just, I mean, he can play anything. So um, he could play, you know, you know, he could play every role in Ben Affleck's Batman movie, except Batman. And I'd be totally <laughs> fine with it. But I like Oscar Isaac a lot. Um, and it, it, I was I was actually disappointed when he got the role of uh, Apocalypse for the next X-Men movie. because I was like, oh, like. No. <laughs> now he's stuck with Fox. Not that, I don't, not that I don't want him to play Apocalypse. Like, I'm sure he's going to be great. But I, I definitely had my eyes on him for bigger things, you know, and certainly the stuff that I care more about in uh, the superhero genre. And uh, Penguin was one of the roles I kind of had flagged for him. So, But I don't care that he's played Apocalypse. He's covered in makeup. So uh, you can't exactly tell that it's him anyway. So I, I don't care let him go come right back into the genre and play Penguin. That would be awesome. Kyle? The obvious answer, obviously, has to be Danny DeVito, man. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> Penguin right there. He, he looked the part so well. 
<laughs> but no, uh, I don't really have a very serious answer because I've never really thought about it. I've just kind of assumed, you know, like, oh, okay, we've seen the penguin. I don't really need to see more penguin, even if it is a new iteration of it. I kind of want to see some of the lesser known villains from a live action series. I, I have two. They're both, uh, one's really just out of left field. Um, Rain Wilson. I really I like, like him. No, um, I like him a lot. Um, he just kind of can be a chameleon in anything. Uh, that's a good I, one. I think that he is, he, like, everything he does, he's good at. Like, he's a great actor. He can, he has the range to be sinister, funny, kind of that weirdly penguin. Not weird like Daniel DeVito, but <laughs> just that weird kind of like, you know, like there's something, there's an undercurrent with him. And then the more obvious choice for me would be uh, Michael Chiklis. I'm a huge Chiklis fan from The Shield. And yeah, yeah. Uh, he was on American Horror Story. He was the commish. Now he's on Gotham. So, unfortunately, yeah. Um, so there, there's my, and then uh, let's do two more. Uh, Gordon, go for it, Sean. Well, Cranston is definitely the favorite. I mean, I, I think that's um, probably my ideal one. But um, another one that I would be happy to take because I, if I'm thinking Affleck's Batman, like I actually got to go. I think got to go even older for Gordon. Uh, and I would probably go Robert Redford. Um, so I think he, he would be a hell of a Gordon, and I can totally picture him as an older Gordon. But, um, you know, depending on what Batman v Superman rumors you read, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, but yeah, if we're going for like an age-appropriate Gordon for Affleck's Batman, then yeah, I actually kind I would still take, Cranston is my number one, but I actually like Redford. Okay, Kyle. You know I've been on the Cranston hype train for the past year or two. I'm a big <laughs> fan of his, so I I've gotten to the point where I just can't imagine anyone else's him. Although I really did like Gary Gary's uh, portrayal of him; it was good. Yeah, or I would even go back to Chris Cooper, who was gonna be Gordon before He's it became old man. Affleck too. He worked with him in the town. Right, so uh, I, I think Cooper would still be a great Gordon. I don't know why I'm I'm kind of, because we got Gary Oldman out of it. I'm I'm happy that he didn't end up doing it for Batman Begins, but uh, he would still be great in the role. Um, like I can't see anyone other than Cranston. But now he wants to play Mister Sinister. I guess he wants to be, which is weird. I don't know. <laughs> I'm surprised that you know what it actually gives me newfound respect for Brian Cranston that he even knows who Mr. Sinister is I'm like that dude's picked up a comic book <laughs> right or he watched the X-Men animated series in the 90s but either way as soon as he on. said Marvel I was like there's no good like in the MC there's no like really good Marvel villain but as soon as I heard X-Men I was like hmm mm. but then he said I heard like Sinister I was like I could see that. Um, I don't know, like Cranston. I really like uh, Colin Firth. Uh, I think he like an an actor, an actor's actor. I really yeah. like to see Daniel Day Lewis in a Batman film, like as Rachel Ghoul or Gor or Gordon. That'll never happen. Um, yeah. so I'd, I'd have to do uh, Colin Firth. Uh, and then the last one, let's do Dent. Let's do a little round because I feel like you can't have. Batman with a solo Batman film without Dent showing up at some point. 
as Two Face or just him as Harvey Dent. So, Sean, who would you like to see? Um, I've always liked the idea of Denzel Washington as Harvey Dent. Um, so I think that would be really cool. And and I Dent doesn't have to necessarily be this. I think Denzel Washington is a little bit older than Affleck, but they don't have to be the same age. Um, you know, I have no problem with Dent being just a little bit older than um than Batman. So I think uh, Denzel Washington would be cool. Um, there's another one that I think. Oh, yeah, the other idea that I had would be. And again, I'm going back to somebody who passed on the on Nolan's trilogy, Matt Damon, who was the original choice yeah. in The Dark Knight. Uh, because it's art imitating life. Like Dent and Batman were friends. Well, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are freaking pals, right? Mm-hmm. So right. like if they're, be best, awesome. if they're best buds, like and you know, and they're both great enough actors that, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, really playing on the fact that they're friends in real life. But I think there is a certain level of emotion and familiarity that they would have with each other that would kind of carry through in a good way uh, in their performances. And I think that would be a blast. So uh, Denzel Washington or Matt Damon, I think, would probably be near the top of my list for Dent, although I'm sure personally, I don't think Dent's that tough of a role to play. So I I, kind of think, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of guys who could do it, but those would be two guys who might be able to elevate it a little bit. I I think there's a film that that. Affleck would want to direct Damon in just as like, as, cause I feel like there's that camaraderie ship that, yeah. that they both have cause they're both good actors, but I feel like Affleck really pops as more of a director and to direct his good buddy who was just amazing in the Martian and so yes, he was films. I feel like they're and that would be awesome. Kyle, let's, let's Harvey Dent. I think my number one pick would have to be Matthew McConaughey for that. Oh, that's a good one. I'm a big fan of Matthew McConaughey for that. But I have a second pick, which I haven't heard too many people mention, but maybe Andrew Lincoln. Ooh. I think he could be pretty decent at the role. I I think it's my original pick for Batman before um, Ben Affleck. I really think Andrew Lincoln is an incredible actor. So he could do anything in the DCEU. Uh, if they were going younger, I would like uh, – I'd really like Dan Stevens who uh, is yeah. – uh, was aw- I mean I don't really – I never watched Downton Abbey, but he was awesome in The Guests last year. And he just had like just – well, first off, he's got the golden boy looks of a Harvey Dent. But also at the same time, like he's just got that intensity in his eyes and his face, you know, where he just – where somebody can actually be – like Dent is this weird thing where – and I don't think Aaron Eckhart ever quite got it, but he wasn't really asked to. And I think he did, you know, a great job at what he was, you know, at what the Dark Knight needed. But if you were ever going to make a movie where you were really, truly, you know, focusing on Dent and becoming Two-Face and really being a true, like, villain of the story and not just the the sympathy part of it that the Dark Knight went after, uh, you need somebody who can be, like, make you feel reassured and completely uncomfortable at the exact same time. Like, cause that's kind of what you have to have from Dent is he's strong and he's good, but there's also something beneath the surface that tells you like, not everything's okay with this guy. And Dan Stevens totally nailed that look in the guest. And I was like, Oh man, that's a great Harvey Dent. Dan Stevens is going to be in the comic book movie genre. Like that's going to happen at right. some point regardless. So whoever gets any, I think he's a good enough actor to probably play a, a number of roles, but 
you know, that would be a great choice. Not for Affleck's Batman, but for my, you know, future Batman, the animated series, you know, Batman, the live action series of movies like right. that's uh, Dan Stevens is my dent unless, you know, he gets snatched up for something else first. Um, for me, I know I say this guy for every character ever. Kyle knows who I'm going to say. John Hamm. Yeah. <laughs> love- as soon as you said for every character ever, I was like, oh, yeah, John yep. Hamm. <laughs> he is a good choice for dent, though. He, I, there, there's, he can play that, that very, uh, he's almost like Bruce Wayne, like just him as a person, just his way that he can like talk and there's something underneath that you were, you were saying like, he kind of has to make you feel uneasy and watching him in Mad Men. And then again, he's worked with Affleck before. And there's a scene at the end of the town where he is interrogating Affleck's like, kind of girlfriend who's kind of like a hooker prostitute or something <laughs> like she's addicted to drugs and he's talking and being overtly sexual mm-hmm. just being really kind of like uh like really creepy and really intense and i feel like that i'm not saying like den is like this like dan devito penguin character but there's sure. something underneath if you look in his eyes it just he can turn at any point and i think Ham could just elevate that character like a Damon or Matthew McConaughey, but yeah, John Ham for sure. Yeah. Um, I th- what what are you working? What's going on with Modern Myth Media as we as we wrap everything up? Sure. Um, well, it's just you know usual stuff. It's modernmythmedia.com where I write stuff on the site and post podcasts. I mean, we have the Modern Myth Media podcast. I'm working on something else. We've already you know recorded some episodes and stuff. You know, a new thing that'll be launching pretty soon. Um, but I can't say what that is yet. Um, and then, um, Ooh. I can, but I'm just, not. <laughs> you know, the other person who would have to sign off on that's not here with me, but, um, and then of course we have, you know, I know this is a Batman show, but if you're like me and you like everything, you know, I also do a, a Marvel podcast called making mine Marvel. It's about all the Marvel stuff. And then, you know, so that's pretty much all that's, uh, going on. But like I said, the easiest thing to do is go to modernmythmedia.com and you can get updates on all the stuff I do. Where can they find you on Twitter? On Twitter at modernmythmedia um, and then Facebook, it's facebook.com slash modernmythmediapodcast Okay, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of Shailen on Batman. I'm Justin Shailen. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. I'm Batman. I'm Batman.